Welcome to What's Working in Washington on federalnewsradio.com and 1500 AM. Coming up on today's show. I'm not sure that people truly understand the practical impact of cyber attacks here in the United States. And we've really, I think people are only going to truly appreciate the potential impact of a cyber attack is when you have something kind of like a cyber Lehman Brothers almost, which is a circumstance that drives a company over the edge from a going concern into bankruptcy and people lose their jobs. We always say that uh, a cyber attack is not just about the technology, you know, it's really between the keyboard and the chair, right? It's the human element and training and telling your staff what to do in terms of, of a cyber attack or ransomware virus. I think we need to plan ahead of time and in planning, we just don't mean a crisis plan. We mean plan it as if you're not going to be able to communicate with your team. How are you going to reach them? Hi, I'm Jonathan Aberman. Thanks for joining us today. The issue is cybersecurity. It's national security. It's economic security. More and more, it's a problem and issue for businesses. So this week's show is going to be devoted 100% to this issue. We have here in the studio three experts to help unpack the different ways that businesses, our national leaders, and all of us need to be thinking about cybersecurity in today's environment. Andres Franzetti is the Chief Strategy Officer and founding member of the Risk Cooperatives. He's here, as is Richard Levick, the founder and CEO of Levick, and Brian Finch, a partner at Pillsbury Winthrop Shaw Pittman. Gentlemen, thanks for joining us. I cannot imagine, I mean, literally, I cannot imagine a more important issue for us to be talking about around Independence Day than this existential threat to our nation. Do, do you think that people really understand how dire the current situation is? Brian, I'll start with you. You're in the middle of this right now. So that's a really good question. I think people appreciate the fact that cyber attacks are for real. Obviously, it's impacting them. If you're like me, you've had to replace your credit cards any number of times due to data breaches. But I'm not sure that people truly understand the practical impact of cyber attacks here in the United States. I mean, we've we've talked about this with Andres and Richard before. And really, I think people are only going to truly appreciate the potential impact of a cyber attack is when you have something kind of like a cyber Lehman Brothers almost, which is a circumstance that drives a company over the edge from a going concern into bankruptcy and people lose their jobs. There's significant financial impacts. People talk about the lights going out, the water turning off. I think that's possible, but not probable. What we're seeing more recently with, especially with the most recent ransomware attacks is that you do have companies that really do go day by day with revenue. They're operating on a cash basis and a significant disruption to their ability to bring in revenue and satisfy customer demands. If that's impacted by cyber attacks, they go out of, they go out of business. People lose their jobs. And that's right around the corner, if not here already. Uh, and when that happens, that will truly make people understand how bad cyber attacks can be. It's interesting you mentioned Lehman Brothers as an example because I think that ultimately banking is a great example of an industry where confidence ultimately describes whether or not people will do business. And it seems to me, whether we're talking about elections or we're talking about the power grid, or you're talking about the privacy of information, it's all the same. It's about the credibility of institutions. Andres, I know you're in the middle of this as well with the standpoint of you know what you do on a daily basis. What are you seeing businesses or, or politicians or leaders? Are they taking this seriously? Do they get it? You know, I think that's a great question. I think a lot of folks don't get the magnitude and the implications that this has. Um, you know, I think the 
everybody writ large from the insurance industry to businesses and industry have focused on cyber attacks more in terms of data. They focus it on the personally identifiable information, you know, getting social security numbers out, credit card transactions out. But in reality, that's the just one small fraction of the risk that they're, that are, they're facing, and particularly in the middle market for smaller organizations. You know, the uh, targets of the world can, can have the fortress balance sheets where they can actually absorb some of those losses. But the middle market companies that are often collateral damage of some of these major ransomware attacks or, um, or other cyber, cyber attacks really feel that impact. And if they haven't proactively planned for it, they can't take the financial hit of being locked out of their businesses, as, as Brian just mentioned, and not being able to transact and generate revenue. So I think those components and the, the resiliency aspect that they need to plan for is often not thought about in terms of both um, you know, government as well as industry. So far, I've heard uh, this is a, an existential issue from the standpoint of the economics or the viability of a business. Richard, I know you have a great deal of expertise around uh, messaging information. We've talked in our earlier shows about the whole phenomenon of fake news and the integrity of information. Is this cybersecurity issue ultimately about the integrity of information in some ways? Well, I think it is about the integrity of information, but let us not uh, ignore the issues that you raised earlier, the confidence in the financial institutions, in the fourth estate, media, I, in governments to be able to do their business. You know, I fully agree with Andres and Brian, but I don't want our audience to be misled by their mellifluous voices that say this is, <laughs> in fact, um, a crisis, but, you know, we're still sort of waiting. 100% of companies are going to deal with this. And as individuals who have been hacked at a significant level, I mean, once you get into your dumb machines, you know, your videos or uh, your Internet of Things, the ability to make it almost impossible for a person to get their life back once they have information about you is tragic on a personal level. On a business level, I don't think that boards are prepared for this. Too often we don't see the chief information security officer reporting directly to the board. Too many companies still think of this as an IT problem or something that's going to happen to others. I also don't think there's this realization that we're really in cyber hacking 3.0, if you will. You know, 1.0 was when it first happened, you had TJX and they took fully 18 months to respond. 2.0 is really Heartland, which takes this by, uh, you know, takes leadership on this and responds and talks to all 155,000 of their customers in a week. But now I think we're entering 3.0. All of that prior to was about information. Now we're entering an age where things that can be taken from us, life, health, safety, and in the case of the United States, France, and in the Middle East, democracies and whole governments. One of the big things driving this, I was talking with, a, a, I won't mention the person's name, somebody at Department of Homeland Security is involved cyber, and the observation was made to me was, the real issue now is that you don't even have to be a coder to cause mischief and steal data. There are just, the same way that you can do object-oriented programming and come up with a Facebook app for cats, you can become you can become a ransomware. Is it really as ubiquitous as that, guys? Absolutely. I, I mean, this is that's not a new phenomenon either. For years, companies have been reporting about this deep web, dark web, whatever you want to call it. There's ransomware. There's malware for hire at increasingly cheap rates. It's really amazing because you see the delta between the cost of conducting an attack and the cost of preventing or recovering from an attack increasing, meaning that we're essentially now at the point where ransomware attacks are free to conduct. You can go on the dark web and you can get ransomware software to launch your own attack for free. All you have to do is pay a portion 
of the ransoms that you collect to the person who gave you the software. So we're now at the point where it's free. I mean, it used to people used to say in a, in a false analogy that there are some parts of the world where it's cheaper to get an AK-47 than a chicken. Mm -hmm. That was never actually true, but an AK-47 was pretty cheap. Well, we're actually now at the point where malware, ransomware, even hackers, a couple bucks an hour, essentially, to do that. So it, it's scary in that context that the, the gap between what it takes to launch an attack and what it takes to prevent an attack much less come back from it, is only growing larger. I'm thinking about Tom Friedman here. The world is flat. The internet, or, or Jared Lanier, the internet has now basically driven the cost of entry down to zero for... Sorry. Okay, so for our listeners, we've now said, guys, pay attention. Cybersecurity is a big deal, but they're different types of threats. So, uh, Andres, to start with you, it sounds to me like we've identified identity theft. Sounds like we've got financial theft. What what are what are some of the prior you know what are some of the things that people should be thinking about? Because ultimately what we're gonna talk about today is how to start arming yourself. And I suspect that depending upon what threat you're trying to deal with, the action steps may be different. So over to you. Absolutely. Yeah, no, there's a lot of, of threats um, that are associated with cyber attacks. And, um, you know, from the perspective of data being breached, uh, information that's personable, that's, uh, you know, from employees, from private clients um, that is out in the public domain, that opens up a whole set of liability issues um, and potential lawsuits that follows. Uh, there's also the component of ransomware, which we've been talking about, um, and that has knock on effects for organizations in terms of interrupting their their revenues, their business income. So um, all those components need to be contemplated. There's also, you know, we can get into kind of the, the granular weeds here of, of what type of scenario has knock-on effects. But I think uh, to Brian's point, you know, the, the organizations that are utilizing um, a lot of the technologies that are so much uh, so prevalent now and so available to help grow and, and innovate and spur business growth um, often lead to creating these kind of backdoors or vulnerabilities. And a lot of folks are looking at, at um, you know, vendors that are in the cloud now as a service provider. And that's another area that, you know, potentially is, is a concern. So in there, there's a whole wide array of potential risks that companies need to look at. And really not just on their own internal processes and, and operations, but their entire supply chain. Um, and then there's also a whole set of, of mitigation tools and, and ways that they can proactively look to prevent this. Um, so it's not like there's no solution here, but it is an ever-evolving and ever-shifting uh, type of issue that they need to stay on top of. In effect, it's an arms race is what it sounds exactly, like. Exactly. Yeah. I want to remind you, just turning in, you're listening to What's Working in Washington with Jonathan Aberman. We're talking about the issue of cybersecurity and, and why you should be paying attention and what, as a business leader, you can do about it with three experts here in the studio. So one more thought, Richard, to close out this segment. You touched on something earlier. You touched on threat to democracy. That is a very, very strong statement to make. Uh, got my attention. What are you getting at there? Well, first of all, it's great after knowing all those years to finally get your attention. I'm glad to hear that, Jonathan. <laughs> well, you know, you just have to come on my show. <laughs> so, the, you know, I look at a couple of things. One, uh, I found the, all these worlds are merging, communications, cyber, activist investors. You know, all of these things are starting to merge as part of communications uh, and risk strategy. But one, uh, you know, if you look at the Russian involvement, and let's just narrow it down to Russian involvement here, 30 years ago, they uh, created the Gazprov Doctrine. It was the whole concept of destabilizing. And part of that would evolve to the strategy of cyber intervention uh, and this hacking. And we've seen this now 
Uh, in at least two countries, the United States and France, we also see, you know, one of the things that the Russians will do, as the Chinese do, is you take individual hackers and you hire them. Uh, that gives you deniability and it gives uh, it gets the hacker off if, if they're caught. So it works for both uh, parties. And then we've probably seen, we certainly have seen untoward uh, engagement as well in the Middle East. So I think we need to learn, first of all, uh, as nation states, but also as companies, because it's happening now or next to companies. And that is, how did France handle this? And we saw a much more uh, aggressive approach. There was honeypotting, that is, putting in information deliberately false into your own account. So if it was hacked, you could prove that, you, in fact, uh, you had been uh, hacked. That helps in terms of who's wearing the white hat, who's wearing the black hat. Two. Now, they don't have a First Amendment, but they did get the newspapers there to not talk about any of the salaciousness about what had been hacked uh, in the final days of the election. That was very helpful. Too often, just ask Hillary Clinton, it's all about what she might have said or what embarrassing email, rather than the fact that she, the DNC, and America was hacked. Three, Facebook was much more aggressive in terms of taking down fake news. I think from a leadership point of view, and I do not want to turn this into a political statement, but I think for businesses and for this 241-year-old experiment called democracy, in 1961, John F. Kennedy said, we will put a man on the moon before the end of the decade. This president instead has looked at the most significant existential threat, just shy of an act of war, the Russians hacking our democracy, and he has called it fake news. We need leadership at the highest levels, and in that absence, we need it from other politicians, and we need it from business leaders. Very strong and very salient. Guys, I now think where I want to turn this conversation to is what should we do next, but not yet. we got to take a little break. We'll be right back. What a great conversation we're having. You know, I got to tell you, as the host of the show, it's such a wonderful thing for me to bring experts into the studio and have a chance to talk with them about the things that they find passionate and get this type of information. You know, we're doing this on a weekly basis now, podcast almost every day. We've been doing this show for long enough that I can tell you what started as hypothesis, gee, there are a lot of people here in D.C. that are making interesting things happen is now becoming a reality. I'm sure you see it too and hear it frequently on what's working in Washington. And you know, this show wouldn't happen without the support of sponsors. I want to make sure that you acknowledge them. Eagle Bank, how do you get to be number one in the DC area? Eagle Bank did it by putting relationships first. They're flexible, involved, responsive, strong, and trusted. Eagle Bank's goal is your success. And we also have the help of Montgomery County Economic Development, MCEDC. They're helping companies start, grow, and accelerate business in Montgomery County. The future starts here Go to thinkmoco.com today. And we're continuing our conversation about the current situation with cyber attacks, cybersecurity, with three experts here in the studio. Andres Ponsetti is the Chief Strategy Officer and founding member of Risk Collective. Richard Levick is here also, the founder and CEO of Levick. And Brian Finch, a partner at Pillsbury, Winthrop, Shaw, Pittman. Now let's start thinking about what can people do about it. Brian, I'll turn to you first. What are you telling your clients to do about the situations that they're facing? First thing I tell them is to recognize that this is inevitable. It's kind of like you're not going to go through life without suffering a scratch or a sprained ankle or some other form of injury. You're also not going to go through life 
that's suffering some form of cyber attack. And that's okay. Why is this going to occur? There's a very simple illustration that I can give you. The more software and hardware is out there, the more complex it is, the more likely it is that someone's going to find an exploit, a vulnerability. Think back to the space show, sort of the pinnacle of American technology that had 400,000 lines of code written for it. The average passenger automobile that you can pick up for $25,000, $30,000 has 100 million lines of software code written for it. You figure 5% of that code on average is written with errors in it. That means there's 5 million different ways in every passenger car that it can get hacked. It's going to happen. So you live with that fact and you realize, okay, I can take basic protections. I can make sure that I have virus protections on my computers. I have a plan if I'm running a business. I also don't just have a plan to stop attacks, but I also have a plan to recover from attacks and everybody knows what they're supposed to do. If you're in a position where you suffer a cyber attack, and this is the basic thing that I say, if you suffer an attack and you don't have a plan for recovering from it, you've lost and people are going to automatically get fired in that circumstance. If you know it's going to happen and you have a way to come back out of it fairly quickly, you're in a much better position to do well. Andres, before we started uh, on the air, we were talking some about it. The human factor is very important here as well, isn't it? Absolutely. And I think, you know, we always say that uh, a cyber attack is not just about the technology, you know, and I think Brian just outlined a great case there. Um, it's really between the keyboard and the chair, right? It's the human element and training and telling your staff what to do in terms of, of a cyber attack or ransomware virus. Um, having protocols in place is, is huge because that's often what unleashes the, the virus. Um, you know, there was in the news recently a, a law firm that uh, experienced, uh, was a victim of the, the latest ransomware attack. And they actually put a giant whiteboard at the, in the entrance of their lobby saying, you know, under no circumstances, connect to the Internet. Do not open your laptop. No exceptions. You know, if you have it on your docking station, take it off. And that's what you really need to do is you need to hit folks in the face with it right up front uh, so that you don't compound the issue and make it worse by having it download viruses and then wreak havoc it on a system. Um, and just, you know, kind of to build off of, uh, of, of Brian's point, I think it's really about understanding what the resiliency of the organization is. You know, can you withstand a cyber attack? Do you have the resources in-house to, to mitigate it, to, to attack it and fight it head on? And can you finance and, and, and absorb the cost, uh, the financial cost of it as well? Um, so I think those are key issues that companies need to, companies and governments need to really ask themselves. Richard, what about from the standpoint uh, where you sit, disaster recovery communications, what do businesses need to be doing? Well, you know, a, a number of things. One is, first of all, understanding that these things are, as these gentlemen are sharing, as Andres and Brian are sharing, they're going to happen. Two, I think we need to plan ahead of time. And in planning, we just don't mean a crisis plan. We mean plan it as if you're not going to be able to communicate with your team. How are you going to reach them? You know, during the, the blackout about 10 years ago that came out of Cleveland, went all the way through up and down the East Coast, uh, people couldn't communicate on their cell phones. Uh, and I think one of the things that happens is as technology gets better and better, we forget how to use older technologies like a phone book, for example. <laughs> you know, there's an old Native American tribe that a century and a half ago said, uh, we don't want to trade with these new Americans for fish hooks. It's not that you don't produce better metal fish hooks than our bone ones. It's that once we trade for them, we'll forget how to use make our bone fish hooks, our fish hooks out of bone. And I think the same is true for us. We've forgotten how to do things that we used to before the Internet age. We have to plan an anticipation that we're not going to have a lot of the conveniences, the whiteboard, mm -hmm. how are we going to communicate, 
cyber hygiene. So not, not all of the hacks are going to occur because of brilliant hackers. Some of them are going to occur because disk or fobs are left on the metro or because we haven't turned our computer off or because we've given access or the same password over and over again. So cyber hygiene is really critical. Knowing who third parties are in the community, when something happens to your company, you, you're the victim. You don't want to be positioned as the problem, as the cause. And so third parties who are out there who are sympathetic and can explain just how sophisticated this is, I think that's critically important. And then finally, for the retail establishment, we have existed in a period of time where free credit reporting seems to be the solve. It solves the problem. Of, Sorry, we had a problem. We'll give you free credit reporting. So if somebody's stealing your identity, you you know. Right. And, Hooray! And exactly. And that worked for a while. That has come to an end. Studies are showing that consumers are no longer going to be satisfied with that. And if companies haven't thought radically different differently about how to address this challenge, they need to now. And the last thing I will say is this. I've been doing this for 40 years. I, what I've seen in terms of, uh, you know, on the communication side, what I've seen in terms of the hacking and how it's moving into all other areas, activists, investors, NGOs being used and leveraged in corporate campaigns, I have never seen this level of thread the needle sophistication. It truly is as fascinating as it is frightening. You know, what? I, I would just add one thing to what Richard said, which is that Yes, you are the victim, but sometimes you have to fight to be recognized as the victim. There are a lot of people who are very invested in portraying you as a bad actor, even though you suffered a cyber attack. And that works in on many ways. We talk about government and the problems they've had with cyber attacks over the years and, and fake news, et cetera. But government, particularly at the state level, you have a lot of hungry politicians who love to blame the big, bad corporations for letting you down and exposing your information. So you've got to be ready to fight back on that level and say, look, at the end of the day, we suffered a criminal event. Why are you yelling at us? You know, you make an interesting point, one that I... So when the Yahoo situation was made public, I thought Verizon was going to significantly retrade the price. I, I thought they were going to reduce the price by billion, $2 billion, a massive erosion of value. And I thought the Yahoo board were going to be the first board that actually got sued for gross negligence mm -hmm. for cyber. Do you think that um, our boards and our companies, are they taking this seriously enough? Is this going to take some massive Enron, Lehman type of situation before companies really take this seriously? Well, maybe I'll just jump in on that one because it's actually pertinent to some of the work that we're doing. Um, and we've actually created a certificate course for board members in this exact vein because they do need to become educated and it is an area of key concern for them. Um, and you know, we've seen that there, the adoption of this course and the interest in it is really off the charts um, because I think that to your point, they are seeing that the liability is ultimately sticking with them. And in those types of, of deals where they haven't done the due diligence, they haven't asked the right questions, be it because they didn't understand it, they didn't have the right lexicon to communicate with the IT folks, you know, they really needed uh, needed some more context and, and background and, and education to be able to really accurately assess the, the potential threats and then, you know, adjust accordingly. So we've seen that it's a it's a high growth area and a lot of interest from from board members. Are you seeing that, Brian? Because it seems to me that the way this situation sort of levelizes in our society often it takes it takes lawsuits, it takes legal liability for companies to change. Look, it's painful for me to say this because I'm a tort reform advocate. I'm not in favor of, of lawsuits all, all over the world and blaming everybody. But unfortunately, yes, I do think there there has to be some accountability at some point. 
And that's what's really going to make board members, not that they aren't paying attention. In fact, I think they are paying attention, a lot of them, but they're really going to wake up and realize that they're potentially personally on the hook mm -hmm. if there is a, a cyber event. And, and when that happens, and it may come out of actually this Yahoo Verizon situation, that may be the first case, maybe it'll be something else. We'll wait and see. But when you feel that pain in your pocketbook, when you are labeled as personally responsible because you didn't oversee enough the cybersecurity program within your company, that's when you'll really see companies wake up from a leadership level. In addition to what we talked about earlier, if the company goes out of business, then obviously it's a wake up call for everybody. Would each of you give me just 30 seconds, if, if I was your client and I called you today, I'll start with you, Richard, I called you up, I just, I heard this podcast and you've got my attention. What's the first thing you tell me to do? First thing is that we have to look at all things from a risk perspective everything. Where are challenges coming from? I think that corporations still look at everything as if they're in control and that things sort of just accidentally grow from the grassroots. And things are much more organized right now. And it's critically important to understand the source of your challenges. Andres, how about you? I'm calling you up. What do I do for your client? Well, we, we tell our clients particularly, um, you know, assume that you've already been breached in all reality, whether they've taken any data and it's left the perimeters of your, your server or, or confines you know, you probably have been breached already. So really, we ask clients to assess the digital health of their organization and really the resiliency that they're able to uh, to maintain as a result of a cyber attack and look at it in terms of a financial context, not just data. And, you know, we don't have data on our records. We don't have information that we store. It's really, can you can your organization survive a cyber attack and be around the day after? Brian, how about you? I'm, I'm a client panicking. What do I do? You know, there's a lot of cliches about there about people who've been hacked and those people who've known they've been hacked, et cetera. I, the first piece of advice I give every client who calls is take a deep breath. It's okay. We'll get through this. This is going to happen to everybody. It's about managing it really well to sort of uh, paraphrase Woody Allen. It's not how far you fall. It's how high you bounce. I think it's going to be a similar situation when it comes to cyber attacks. It's about the recovery, not just about stopping everything. You've been listening to Andres Fizzetti, the Chief Strategy Officer and founding member of the Risk Cooperative, Richard Levick, the founder and CEO of Levick, and Brian Finch, a partner at Pillsbury Winthrop Shaw Pittman. We've been talking about cybersecurity challenges and what all of us need to be thinking about as we deal with this ever-changing and ever-present threat. Gentlemen, thanks for joining us. that's our show for this week. Our producer is Tracy Madigan. Our online contributors are Michael Hoffman and Barbara Ulrich. Music for the show is provided by two DC region bands, Two Car Living Room and The Sunbathers. And a huge thank you to our sponsors, Eagle Bank and Montgomery County Economic Development Corporation. If you're listening and you'd like to promote your business on our show, please do get in touch with us for sponsorship opportunities. And don't forget to subscribe to our podcast on iTunes and please do rate our podcast. This helps us spread the word about the interesting stories we're telling on what's working in Washington. Let us know who you think we should be talking to on this show. Tweet us at What's Working DC. So until next time, go make things happen in the most interesting city in the world. See you next week. Jonathan Aberman. Bye.
You've been listening to What's Working in Washington. Download this show or any of our weekly programs at federalnewsradio.com. What's Working in Washington, Monday afternoons at 2.30 on federalnewsradio.com and 1500 a.m. 